welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting and glad to have you back with us for another great show today. I know I say that every show, but they really are all great. And today maybe is one of the greatest because I have with me on the line a man who certainly needs no introduction in our world of hunting, and that is the bone collector himself, Mr. Michael Waddell. Michael, thank you so much for being on Bow Hunting Radio today. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Thank y'all for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand you're taking some time out from an extremely important activity because you just told me you're out walking around on one of your leases scouting turkeys as you do this interview. I am. So anybody else that couldn't get me on the phone or somebody from the office that has been trying to get in touch with me at Bone Collector, uh, I've now been exposed right here on the radio show because I'm, yeah, I was out. I was looking for a good excuse to get out of the office. And since the uh, southern turkey season is drawing near here in Georgia, I figured it'd be a good time to go out and walk around and relax. But even if I don't even find any sign or a good place to hunt, it's just good to be out here, man. So it's a... my, my saying is too much time inside can hurt you inside. So I'm trying to make sure I cleanse my insides by walking outside. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to start it out today by kind of asking you, what's the latest and greatest going on in your world? What kind of projects are you guys working on for 2017? Uh, you know, what's hot in the world of Michael Waddell and the bone collectors? The biggest, the biggest thing we got going on right now through everything that's happening, I mean, as you know, it seems that through radio, through television shows, now social media and the digital component of where people can watch outdoor entertainment and messaging. Um, for us, Bone Collector and myself, even Nick and T-Bone, we have really, really invested into getting that message out there because right now I think I've, I don't think I've ever been as convicted to promote and to help people understand more about our culture and everybody that's listening in on the radio show today understands that it's such a cool blessing to to grow up hunting fishing and it's also cool whether you didn't grow up doing it but you found it later in life and then as you start discovering when you get into mainstream politics and seeing what's going out there in the world and in some cases, seeing the decline of of mainstream getting behind hunting, and even in some cases, certain numbers kind of lackluster. I've never been so convicted to get out and make sure we protect it, promote it, and do it in a positive light. And so, Bone Collector has really got a lot of cool projects going, both socially on our show this, that airs on Outdoor Channel, as well as just some of the digital components of working with bigger companies like Chevrolet, uh, really, really trying to get involved with companies like Firestone that's even outside of our industry to try to help promote and let people know that hunting is cool and there's nothing wrong with it. And some of these things we're doing has nothing to do with just shooting an arrow or, or, or really filling a tag. It's about sharing who we are as people, as an industry, you know, human beings, and I've always believed that hunters are some of the best assets that America has because we 
obviously ain't afraid to work. We enjoy the outdoors, and um, and obviously we're we're conservationists, but we also like to show uh, our families that you can live out there on what's what the good Lord's provided and their renewable resources. So uh, I, I'm just real convicted, and our whole Bone Collector crew, we, we want to make sure we get the message out there loud and proud. And thankfully, we have a lot of partners that's, that's behind us in this endeavor to make sure that we can get the point across, not just to the hunting endemic, but outside of that endemic, whether we're on Fox News or CNN, even having a chance to work a little bit with the with the uh, with Donald Trump Jr. and the current administration that we got in Washington to to try to do everything we can to get this message out there and let people know hunting is awesome. It's cool and it is something the good Lord gave us that that really isn't just a privilege. It's a God given right. So we're working hard to do that. Yeah, what? Uh, tell me a little bit more about that connection with with the uh, Trumps. You had a chance to meet him during the campaign, or have you guys been friends for a while? And, and what are you maybe having an opportunity to do there as part of uh, the Trump administration? Well, yeah, I did. I did get a chance to meet the Trump family through their campaign, and uh, I had touched base with Donald Trump Jr. a couple times prior to uh, to Big Don running for the president presidency and obviously the the both eric and donald jr they're they're avid hunters eric is more of a shooter and he does do a, a good bit of hunting but donald jr is just obsessed with hunting he loves it he's always stood up for it he's took a lot of ridicule so during the process of them running i had a chance to meet uh our new president which so happy he's in there um and i had a chance to talk to donald jr a lot and so it, after Donald had won the presidency, we had a chance to touch base a little bit more and talk about potentially putting together a a, a panel or a committee that will, uh, and this is especially something that's important to the kids, uh, Donald Jr. especially, that we can kind of come with an agenda that we can attack the media and somehow get these stories out there of what the hunters are, are seeing and doing and, and some of the success stories. And it really is it's it's not out there. It's nothing that that is viral. That that is just freely that the press calls on people like me, uh, or you, or or personalities in our industry. And so we're going to work hard to change that. And I think we definitely have a president. I know we have a lot of his people on his cabinet that hunt, and, and I know he's his family hunts. So they're not going to be afraid to put themselves out there in a hunting camp and, and to be seen and to be a spokesperson for it. So that's kind of far as we got right now. We, we're, we're talking about a bunch of different things. We're trying to put together maybe a hunt for spring turkeys this year so we can better discuss some of the ideas we might can have. And uh, like I said, it, 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 it's not going to happen overnight, but at least uh, this is the first time in my career or the first time that I remember outside of a lobbyist group getting together and having that inside connection, you know, with something at this level. So that's all cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, maybe seeing maybe seeing some Trump boys on a future episode or something, that would be pretty cool for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and um, and that would be a huge testament. I mean, I've got a lot of celebrity buddies and it's amazing when you are sometimes a little bit what they've been able to do. It's not about what their message is, but it's about so many times the way they go about whether it's looting or protesting or going crazy are based on the media being controlled so much by the liberal agenda uh, and especially at the mainstream level of our network television shows. You've got a lot of people out there that are afraid to even go out and do simple 
God-given right things like hunting fish or to speak up about certain elements, whether it's the Sacadet Amendment. you got a friend like Blake Shelton who works for NBC. Uh, he, he's not in a situation unless he's ready to potentially, uh, you know, throw certain elements of his career away if he immediately gets that himself out there. And he hunts with me and Bone Collector and some of his other friends in the industry like he did prior to working for NBC. So that's sad that we're in a situation like that when so many of the other personalities and stars or whatever, they can say whatever they want to. And you got Madonna to come up there and talk about burning down the White House and essentially now she wasn't gonna chaos. Burn, she wasn't going to burn it down. She was going to blow it up. <laughs> blow it up. That's right. That's, I forget. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it just blows my mind that you got huge personalities and celebrities that can say that. But here's my buddy Blake Shelton that loves to hunt and fish. And he's not afraid, but he realizes that if he is out there hunting with me and you on a show, that it could definitely hurt the potential of his endorsements and renewing a contract. And so that's that's just really sad. Those are the things that we want to kind of undo. Those are the things we want to fight for. That's something that means a lot to Donald Trump Jr. and I. And um, I don't know how much progress we can make, but I think it's I think it's only fair based on what some of these other people are getting a chance to promote and celebrate. And we can't even celebrate getting together and eating backstrap with our family. And so it's it's sad. And so uh, obviously there's a lot of celebrities and personalities that love to hunt. And I think we need everybody to help spread the message because it is a very good message. You know, I mean, me and you grew up hunting and fishing. So I remember looking back and thinking, well, if you didn't hunt and fish, I, wow, I can't believe somebody that won't. But now that I've been on the outside and I see some of the ways people look at it, a lot of it is just ignorant ignorant to the fact that they've never been educated on it and they just don't understand what it's what it's like they think we're killers they think we're just redneck hillbilly hicks this out there with reckless abandon that wants to drink some budweiser's and go out there and just just shoot stuff but that's not what it's about you and i know that and this listening audience knows what it's about so i think we gotta take a bigger step in helping educate but at the same time i think it's important that we don't do it in a way that we're making excuses we don't have to make an excuses because we hunt and fish we just need to tell it like it is and share the joy of what it brings to us and our family and our friends absolutely um you know i, I really want to i really want to dive into some nuts and bolts of of spring turkey hunting and, and bow hunting for those but before we do i, I want to spend a little bit more time just talking about uh some things that you touched on you know you mentioned all the different outlets of media um you know social media and and digital and um it's, it's changed so much even in the time you know you're not you're not an old man you know you're maybe getting a little right. older but actually you and I are the same age okay we're both 40, right. 43 but you've been in the business for 20 years when you started I think you started out as a cameraman didn't you for Realtree and you were probably making like VHS tapes or uh, DVDs and, and you know then there's TV and then, and then now it's like oh my goodness it's so different <laughs> than it was 20 years ago isn't it it, it's night and day difference, and it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, when I started at Realtree, I was around 20 years old and literally green as a gourd, and I started kind of as a guide, 
and a cameraman. So basically hired as a guide first that turned into me running a camera. David Blanton gave me that opportunity to try to pick up one of those big cameras. And at the time, their TV yeah, show they was weighed there. Like 30, 40 pounds, right? Oh, it was unbelievable. And, and, um, and it's funny, all the camera guys were really young because it took a young man to tote that thing around. You had to be just fresh off, you know, spring football practice to, to handle one of those big beta cams. And, um, and, and it's amazing. And back in those days, there were no social media. I mean, there was, there was bag phones. I mean, so there wasn't even really a cell phone. And, and you uh, probably had a bag phone and you thought you were cool. Dude, I thought I was the coolest dude in the world having a bag phone in my turkey vest. You know what I mean? Like, I got one goblin over here. I thought I was like some CIA agent, like I was a sniper or something. So it was crazy. And now, obviously, my, my you know, my nine-year-old kid can pretty much you know, do whatever he wants to and do three times the things that I know how to do, even on a smartphone. But it has changed a lot. And even back in those days, yeah, you had TNN, you had the Nashville Network and Realtree Outdoors. I think Jackie Bushman was on there. Mossy Oak had Hunting the Country. There were uh, Hank Parker, I think, was doing some stuff. Mark Sosha. Sosha not, so, but, so we had a few things that was going on. And that was huge. Man, TV was where it was at. And then everything has changed. And and then you remember, too, I, I remember in those early years, there really wasn't a such thing as a TV personality in hunting. You did have the Bill Jones, the Jackie Bushmans. You know, I remember like Roger Raglan, VHS tapes, as well as uh, I remember even Noel Feather. I mean, you and I were both the same age, so Noel Feather, before his run in there, I, I mean, he was the man. If you didn't have a, you know, hunting bitter cold <laughs> bucks back in those days, and then we, it was amazing looking back and. And it was the outdoor writers. That's what everybody's, you know, all my heroes are outdoor writers. And um, now so many of those outdoor writers are obviously now hunting personalities. So they've carried on and they still write, but they're also personalities on TV so many times. And so it's so much has changed. And now you have the aspect, yeah, the social media. Um, you know, we're, we're having to be like the teenage kids and keep up with it to spread our message and let people know what's happening and from YouTube to the digital platforms where you can go see hunting it's it's, uh, it's something else and some, sometimes the hunting industry uh, I'll probably be crucified by the industry for saying this but sometimes we're the last ones to kind of jump on technology to help advance what we're trying to promote and so uh, now I think now we're, we're really catching up and we're really on top of it as far as getting our messaging across on all these outlets yeah, how do you how do you strike a balance and uh, you know know how how deep to dive into all this stuff too? Like you know, if you have a big stack of uh, stack of flapjacks at Cracker Barrel, do you need to put that on Facebook or uh, you know do you maintain a little bit of a dividing line between your your quote work and and, and your private life? You know. <laughs> It's funny, man. That is hilarious because, I mean, there's obviously things on social media that just annoying the fire out of me, and, and I'm sure you and a lot of other people. And so I, I try my best just to think about, you know, what, what could I share that people would think would be fun or maybe they don't know and also maybe they deserve to know based on, uh, you know, being just great fans of what we do. And so uh, I try to stay away from them them. them you know, just too much selfie shots, man. I, some folks, man, they, I swear, they, they love them themselves. They ain't, they ain't gonna ever have a bigger fan than them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. Some of the people in the hunting industry, the selfie stick broke day out of a career. <laughs> so, so it's funny, but, um, but I try to balance it. And obviously I got, I got a lot of kids and, and family. And so some of that stuff I keep private, but I've always been a pretty transparent person. And, uh, 
the biggest compliment I get when I see people, if I hang out with them especially, and if they watch Bone Collector, Realtree Road Trips, or maybe they follow our social media, there's always this nervousness that what they think you are, you're not. And so every time I hunt with somebody or every time I hang out with somebody a couple of days, almost every time they'll come back and I'm like, dang, what else? Man, you you exactly the same you know now as you are on your show, and I'm like, man, that, thank you. That's a big compliment because I just try to be ourselves. And some of the things we do, we're probably gonna, for lack of better words, piss people off. And some of the things maybe is entertaining. But at the end of the day, I've learned if you're gonna be out there, whether you're gonna write stuff, whether you're gonna be on TV, if you can't be yourself, you're gonna end up being exposed. And so, luckily. I've been able to be so transparent through social media and our TV shows that what you see is what you get. I'm not really running a popularity contest, but I just want people to know this is really me. This is my family. These are my friends. This is what I truly love to do. So when it comes to social media, I wouldn't say nothing is really off limits. I just don't want to bore people and look egotistical on there as well that I think that everybody wants to see everything, what I'm eating, what I'm doing, and pictures of my muscles and and you know, and how many push-ups I can do, or how many turkeys I've killed all the time. It's just I just want to have fun and let people know that my life and what I'm doing, and, and and the people around it, and and how fun life can be if you're an outdoorsman. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing about social media, you know, we certainly have seen this in the hunting world. I kind of probably see it more in the world of professional athletics, right? I mean, social media can be the greatest tool in the world to communicate with your audience and build your brand. It can also be the greatest tool in the world to blow your entire life up in 30 seconds, right? Because you do something real stupid or say something real stupid out there and everybody in the world knows about it. About it, you know, and again, we see this sometimes with different athletes who get themselves in a compromising situation, or, or they just even spout off. Maybe it's their honest opinion of what they feel at the moment, but like you said, maybe you know, with Blake Shelton, you can't necessarily just come out there and, and utter every private thought that you have as a public proclamation, you know. So you have to be, you have to exercise some self control too, which sometimes is easier said than done. Yeah, you you. Definitely- definitely have to think it out i mean a prime example i could just take a picture of and i've done this i remember one one picture in particular that i shared just on twitter i was in my um setup room and i was i was working on my boat and i was just kind of laying out everything you know how you kind of lay it out what you're gonna put in your pack and like i i can put this or leave this behind but i'm taking these two flashlights and on and so forth so i just took a quick picture like excited to be packing for the first trip of the year and um and, and it, it was just a snapshot, and so obviously now you can zoom in on the picture. And I'm telling you, I was blown away at the details that people zoomed in on. Like, hey, dude, did you change wrist? I couldn't tell. Is that mole skin? It, or, and uh, and by the way, man, that's really cool. I see you got a devotional back there. Is that what you're putting in your pack? So everything was, that was on that table was things that I was bringing, but I didn't really think that they would see every little detail of it to a picture of my kid, you know, that was kind of thumbtacked to the sheetrock over there where I set my bows up and stuff. And so I remember thinking, like, holy cow, the one wrong thing, you know, I'm not saying there was nothing that could have been wrong, but every little bit of that people saw. And so you have to make sure that when you post a picture, especially around your home or in a hunting situation, that if you don't want to share it, then 
realizing that everything there is going to be shared and it will be dissected. And so uh, you're right. You have to be very careful with what you do, especially if you're getting mad, if you're in a situation where you want to vent. Uh, it, you know, you have to be, be very careful um, well, and make sure you got the facts right. Yeah, and even, you know, I, I don't want to get us too high up on our soapbox here, uh, but even, you know, something that I try to encourage my own friends to do, you probably do the same. You know, the hero shots that we put out there even, you know, take just trying to, to portray our sport in the most positive light possible. Sometimes I even see, you know, some other people that are pretty well known in our business putting photos out there that uh, honestly they concern me a little bit because I'm like I understand you know maybe what we do or, or what happened there but it's just not necessarily being a good ambassador for for what we're all about uh, sometimes that's correct and all of that all of that gets paid attention to especially especially with the more success you have then there, there's more attention to the details and, and the things that happen have a bigger residual effect than than uh, if you don't you know, pay attention to it because you, know, you have to be aware of that and there's some fine line between as you said not getting on your soapbox and trying to understand think well I'm everybody's watching me to realizing that you're still just a good old boy and you got to share what you want to and kind of come from the cup and at the same time there is a responsibility because people are waiting to maybe hear what you say or they might be thinking one way and if you represent another there's just a lot of things that goes into it you definitely have to be responsible the way you go about it not arrogant but just responsible and understand where you should be yeah absolutely let's uh let's shift gears because we gotta people are wanting bow hunting they they want us to talk bow hunting and you know i'm sure that you have rifle sponsors and, and shotgun sponsors and slingshot sponsors and knife sponsors but you know, just go ahead and admit to, to the whole world that bow hunting is really where it's at, Michael. I, I know that's your favorite, right? By far. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I mean, like, I, let me tell you something. I, I do. I, I, I work uh, with some rifle companies. Obviously, we've had a great relationship with Thompson Center on the muzzleloaders. But my passion to the point to where it gets me in trouble every year with our sponsors that's outside of archery is every year, I mean, even when your number rang and it said unknown, I'm like, oh my God, I bet this is, I bet this is Hornady asking me how many, you know, episodes that we had their ammunition in. I bet this, oh my, is this Barrera? Oh, you know, is this Thompson Center? Because I'm thinking, oh Lord, we're done with the seasons and, and man, we had a great bow year, but oh Lord, tell me T-Bone had good success out there in Oklahoma with his rifle. So yeah, when it gets down to our whole crew, we are obsessed with bow hunting. We love it. It's it's an addiction. It's it's a good addiction, but I, I don't know much that compares to it. I really don't. Yeah, well, you better mention your bow sponsor too, since you mentioned all your gun sponsors. Well, that's right, and we have been so blessed. Oh my goodness! I know you slang a bunch of arrows uh, from a Hoyt as well. From day one that I had a chance to work in the hunting industry as a host or personality, uh, Hoyt Archery has has been right there with me from the real true days all the way to bone collector and uh i love their bows i've, I've had great success with them they're tough they're, they're accurate they're dependable and even more than that i just really have been able to get a good relationship with all the people that work up there uh and just it's just been a phenomenal 
career to to have those guys that I've had a chance to use their products and, and get to know them, and now they feel like family to me. So that's been that's been a really good blessing. So tell me about your 2017 setup. What are you going to be shooting this year? And uh, tell me a little bit about how you like to set up your bow and, and what to you is, you know, a just right setup for, for Michael Waddell. Well, I'm, I'm certainly a minimalist. I mean, meaning uh, because of all the different places we go, I try – and, of course, now, you, as, as most people know, now all the gear has gotten so dependable, more so than it was even 20, 30 years ago. Um but obviously, Hoyt is always innovative. They, they they do so much in coming out with new technology every every year. I'm currently still shooting that Carbon Defiant. Um, I'm, I'm going to the brand new Defiant. They basically had so much success with that bow uh, that they're continuing on with that Defiant. They're making some small tweaks and changes. Yeah, the, Luckily, the, the, Defiant, the Defiant Pro. Is, the Defiant Pro, that's yeah. exactly right. That's the bow. I haven't got my Defiant Pro set up, so I'm still shooting that Carbon Defiant. Had great luck with it last year. Um, Love their bow. Obviously, the carbon riser is, is a great attribute. I've also equally, and I don't know how you feel about this, I've also equally, I can't say that I find a deficit in the aluminum riser um, in those Hoyt bows. Uh, obviously, they're, they're a little less expensive than the carbon risers, but I love that. I've, I'm shooting... Uh, I'm shooting an arrow. I shot some Eastern shafts last year. We don't even have a uh, an arrow sponsor, so we're buying arrows. T Bone and I both we shot everything from Carbon Express to um, Eastern to Gold Tilt. And I'll be honest, it was kind of really fun and cool to really get a chance to. I know people are saying, "Oh, to try the different equipment." No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I always say is. One of the best parts of being a magazine editor, as opposed to a television host, is that most of the time, guys like you, Michael, you have a particular sponsor for each category. So as great as the Hoyt bows are, and I'm not actually going to disagree with you, I'm a a fan of Hoyt bows myself, um, you can't tell me anything about the Matthews or the PSE, and it's not because they're not good or you don't like them, it's just that you don't have that much opportunity to shoot the other bows. And so it isn't. It is fun, isn't it, to get a chance to just do a little bit of everything once in a while. It's a blast. As a matter of fact, too, even though that we have sponsors and we're blessed to have them, I do think it's crucial for all of us to to go try the different products. And I do get a chance to go shoot the Matthews bows. I can't say that I've never killed an animal with a Rage broadhead or other broadheads out there, even though we work with G5, because I think it's important to see how these other products perform um, from the standpoint of understanding what you have in your sponsor so you can develop things better and to get a better understanding. And I also believe that if you're not that much of a fan of archery gear and kind of get gadgeteery, then you might not have the passion that you need to to really help promote and celebrate and design new product. And so for me, I'm still a junkie, man. Like I, I get a chance to go, if I ever get a chance to walk the aisles of a pro shop, I always kind of, you know, it's funny, I, I've never shoplifted anything, but I'm almost hiding it because, you know, I'm like, man, I hope there ain't a, 
Well, well I was going to say, that, go, me this or that. that goes yeah. back to the old social media argument. You know, your biggest fear, you wake up at night with the uh, cold sweats because somebody might have snapped a, a photo of you with their phone with a rage broadhead or something, and now it's on Instagram. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, got, I got in trouble at the NWTF convention. Um, I got in touch at the NW, NWTF convention because I was walking to go talk to this bear outfitter. And there was a group of guys, great young men who had started a business and, and game calls. They was just there to show display and some calling. They were building mouth calls. My, my background, I come from a competition turkey calling background. They handed me over a couple diaphragms and said, what else can you try these? Tell me what you think. This is a new cut. We're working on new latex. They gave me like three brand new mouth calls. And I threw them in my mouth and I'm yelping on them like, holy cow, dude, y'all, that is a great call. So I'm just giving them my feedback. They gave me the calls. And man, before... I even walked out of there. I'm basically getting a text from the Night and Hill marketing manager, like, what is this? And I'm like, oh my God, well, I didn't realize that somebody there had videoed me yelping on these calls right there in the booth. And immediately I got in hot water and I'm thinking, you know what? But that's the way it is. I'm never going to keep myself from giving feedback to this industry and to customers. And, and yeah, I, I sit on the table over there at Night and Hill work with Chris Parrish and we're always designing and working on new calls and innovative products but at the same time I'm a turkey call junkie like an archery junkie I'm never gonna not try anything and I promise you I could hang I could you know tell you right now like hey let me show you this just try it out and tell me what you think it doesn't matter what it is you're gonna be excited to see what it is you might call me immediately and say no nah, I'm not gonna use that what else but immediately because you love archery like man this might be it this might be something cool I still love that and I still become like a kid when it comes to that kind of thing on especially in the archery world because there's so many opportunities to innovate yeah absolutely I, I think that's a that's a great perspective that you have and you know you're you're fortunate in that you you're probably reached a point in this industry where you've got enough of a track record and uh you know, a lot of, uh, you know, financial as well as uh, political capital built up in, in your name that you can go ahead and exercise a little bit of that freedom without, you know, without having to to worry about everything. You know, you can take a little bit of a stand there, which I think is a good stand. Like you say, you've got to support your sponsors, but at the same time, we're supporting, you know, the sport and the lifestyle. And at the end of the day, you know, every night in hail and flex tone at one time was just a couple young guys, like those kids that you talked to and helped out. And, yeah. and that's how we all got started. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. And, and exactly. I remember sitting down talking to Matt, and Ryan Busbus with Blackstone and and, uh, and and Mr. Lynch as he was involved and so when you when you get down to it I guess you know that's the cool thing about America and and like you were saying I do think for all of us that's involved in the hunting industry when it comes to product I had a long conversation with a mentor of mine not too long ago and we were talking about people like Fred Bear and um, and and you and I know this and I think most people in the industry know this some people might not know but Fred Bear obviously will probably go down in history as the most authentic, unbelievable gentleman promoters of archery. And it's not just because he had all those great old films, 60-millimeter films, and stepping up out behind the rock and smoking that brown bear with a longboat. It mainly is because he, he was somebody who really believed that a rising tide will lift all ships. And so in archery... When he come up with something innovative, he was the first to share it with the whole industry. And, you know, not to get off subject from what we're talking about archery, I think one thing our industry these days that we don't do a good job with 
is kind of on the subject we got onto the sponsors and stuff that yes we have to be loyal and i understand if you have a technology you have to protect it you know but at the same time we have to kind of take some of that example of why we love fred bear so much of how he shared and how he took archery to the next level and and you can see the track record bear archery certainly maximized off that he was the godfather of it even though some other archery companies made money off some of his inventions and so sometimes i think we got to take that consideration that when one thing rises when our tide in this industry rises all of us if we have a ship in that water it's going to come up and i think sometimes our industry forgets that yeah let's uh let's talk a little bit about bow hunting for turkeys you know it seems to me even amongst a lot of people that I know who are very, very avid bow hunters, not all of those folks like to hunt turkeys with a boat. And I almost feel like it's kind of like a yay or nay thing. You either, you either really like bow hunting for turkeys or I run into a lot of guys who love bow hunting for deer and they're like, no, nah, I just like to shoot turkeys in the face with my shotgun. I know mm-hmm. I don't want to bow hunt for those suckers. Um, where do you come down on that? And to the extent that you do bow hunt for turkeys, do you almost exclusively hunt out of the ground blind, or do you get out there and actually kind of chase them on foot and try and hide behind a tree or just get, you know, a little uh, cover and, and draw on them in the open? I'm sure you've done a little bit of everything over the years. I have. I've done a little bit of everything. And I'll start with the beautiful thing about hunting is, you know, from ethics to what we want to do and how we want to hunt and what we want to hunt with the beauty of it is all you got to do is go by the game and fish laws and you can do what you want to. And, and, and I probably by rule, I'm probably that guy that really does feel love to just kind of get that shotgun shotgun and come upside the beak. However, I always like challenges. And so I, I was able to kill uh, a couple times. I had a chance to kill a grand slam with my bow two different times. And probably when it's all said and done, I probably killed about 17, 18 turkeys with my bow. So a very, a very far, uh, shy of the number that I've had a chance to, to take. I was going to say, you've probably killed many hundreds overall. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And so when it gets down to it, just from a simple enjoyment standpoint, I do love to still shotgun hunt with uh, turkeys, more probably with a shotgun more than a bow. However, when I do hunt with a bow, I, I kind of hunt with my bow just like I will with a shotgun. And, and there's some really cool positives. One is the challenge is, is, is immense when you're hunting that way. It, it definitely, I think, is easier when you hunt out of the blind. But keep back in mind, I, I do get a chance to deer hunt a lot. So I'm so bored of just sitting idle and still hunting and sitting those three to seven hours in blind. Now I'm ready to walk. I'm ready to see country. I'm ready to take an offensive tack to a goblin turkey versus just sitting back and hoping he makes a mistake. I see him a decoy or is sexually frustrated here in my call. So I, I like to take that offensive attack and going right to him and, and, and working him and, and trying to manipulate the situation, whether I got a bow or shotgun. And then you got the other factor in, if you are going to bow hunt a turkey, as you well know, you got a, an ultimate responsibility because a turkey, even though they appear to be huge, especially strutting, they offer a very small vital to hit with a bow, probably just a little bit bigger than the softball. And if you don't absolutely make a perfect shot on the turkey, there is a better than good chance he can get away from you. So if you go on bow hunt a turkey, I think you need to have, you know, the best equipment, the best broadheads that fits and needs, you know, look for close shots and understand exactly where to put that arrow because otherwise you will lose a lot of turkeys. And I will be the first to tell you I have. I've lost 
a lot of turkeys that I shot with my bow. It's not hard to do. Uh, I, I've lost them myself, and uh, that's one of the reasons why we uh, we published uh, a shot placement guide last year. Uh, we've got that on our website, and yeah, you got to study up on that. And a three D turkey target is a great you know training aid here if you're planning to get out and bow hunt for some birds this spring go ahead and practice your shots and know you know where you're going to aim whether that bird is broadside facing head on walking away etc um the other thing is and i haven't actually done this myself i've taken them out in the field with me a couple times but i've never gotten a shot when i had them with me i don't know about you michael you ever try those various you know broadheads that are out there there's several different manufacturers that offer them with the big basically head loppers i have not but i actually i do think that is a very ethical way to hunt turkeys i mean it's pretty gruesome to see it on video however it's very ethical because i mean you're either gonna completely get a hundred percent you know tag filling shot or you're probably not even going to hurt the turkey if you hit him in the body so I, I i haven't hunted with those but i do think that's a kind of a cool way to go about it and uh, i just haven't had a chance to shoot them enough to see how they shoot out the bows but i've got some friends that use them and love it and love it they put them in close and just shoot them right in the neck and head and and uh guaranteed it's almost like a shotgun but most of those guys are shooting them 15 20 yards max yeah absolutely and it definitely looks cool on video and it definitely makes for a challenging hero shot when you've got a head uh, detached <laughs> from a body <laughs> it's gnawed up pretty good <laughs> I remember uh, I'm sure you remember old Jim Doherty who's passed away now was our back page columnist for many many years and uh, one of the funniest lines Jim ever said is he, he wrote a column about turkey hunting one time and he was talking about how some guys chase him with those loppers and he said he said, as for myself, I prefer my gobblers with the heads attached. <laughs> That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that, and I like that. And, and you know, you mentioned that. It's such a – it's so sad and, and – that's one thing that makes me starting to feel old when I look back and Mr. Doherty and, and you look at, you know, we just lost Wade Bourne. You look at, uh, you know, some of the, some of the writers, true icons, the people I look up to, you know, we've lost quite a few of those writers over the last several years. And it's just so sad. And I'm so glad you mentioned his name because I had a chance to, I remember being around here one time in hunting camp and I was nervous. Like, like it was almost like, I, well, you know, he's a like, hall of famer, it, dude. He was a Hall of Fame. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I remember, you know, hanging out with the Zumbos and, and those guys and, you know, even Gary Clancy. We just, you know, Gary, holy cow, what a loss, you know. And it, it, there's just so many stories and so many people, you know. Uh, Bill Krenz, a prime example, mm-hmm. though, that worked with Bear Archery and also sure. his wife, Miss Krenz. I mean, so many of these people I looked up to, to and, and they were, and I'm sure you can say the same, all those personalities were so good to me, uh, almost father figure to me in so many ways. And it was hard on me, but they was also inspirational to me. And, and uh, I think it's important that that writer legacy doesn't get forgot, don't get forgotten in this digital age, in this, this you know, TV personality age. And sometimes I feel very, the most embarrassed I feel is when I'm getting attention sometimes in this TV show arena and I've got a Zumbo standing over there. Even though those guys do shows, or I've got, you know, these outdoor riders that I look up to still, it, to me it's almost like, you know, Jason Aldean getting attention 
and yet they're walking past a Vern Gosden or a Merle Haggard. Oh yeah, those are the those are the those are the ambassadors of our industry, and so uh, I never forget I never forget that. And um, and the, and what they've done, you know, that that only helps you and I to continue doing what we're doing. Well, it's a very striking thing, and I I actually think about it. Uh, Fairly often, probably because, you know, I'm in the industry and I'm in the outdoor media, but he or she who gets the most attention is not necessarily, you know, the great. In other words, you know, it doesn't mean you're the greatest just because you're the most popular, you know, popularity, it can be a fickle thing. And uh, I'll give you another example. I just happened to be uh, doing some interviews with some some lady bow hunters for a project that we're putting together here at the magazine. And I had interviewed Joella Bates uh, just last week. And I don't really know Joella too well. But this was probably the first extended conversation that I've ever had with her, and I was absolutely blown away, Michael, about the things that woman has accomplished. I did not realize she has nine world championships in archery. She's the only woman archer ever to take the African Big Five. She was the first woman archer ever to take a, a Cape Buffalo with her bow. And she She's taken 80 different species, and at one time, that woman drew 104 pounds, Michael. 104 pounds! And I thought to myself, this girl has accomplished more in her 55 years than I will if I live to be 155. She ought to have That's a statue correct. somewhere. That is correct. And those are legit achievements. That ain't a social media. I'm just going to come up with it and write it, take a selfie of, you, selfie of me and pretend that be the case. Those are true achievements that she has. It's in concrete, this etch. And it's funny, um, and Joella, if you see Joella, Joella is a very stout, manly woman. And I'm not saying that with any negativity. And she is out and strong. As a matter of fact, when you talk about some of the things I've achieved, you know what I'm most proud of is I actually had a chance to beat Joella in arm wrestling. And I, I mean, like, I, I got that down that I don't forget. Like, I like. Is that on your resume? Is that at the top That's of your on resume? That's resume that Michael Waddell <laughs> in 2002 beat Joella Bates in arm wrestling contest. I hope Joella hears this because she can confirm it at the Tara Hunt Lodge in, in Mississippi. So, so the point being is, you're right. Somebody like Joella has accomplished so much to show that women are capable of doing anything that we men do, but it gets kind of, you know, put aside sometimes. And and now, and like I said, I'm about to open up a can of worms when I say this, but now we've got 105-pound supermodels with a a moose rack and a moose ham on their back crossing the creek in Alaska up to their neck in cold, icy water in a photo shoot. I don't even know that Joella could do that. (laughs) But if anybody could have done it, it's Joella, but I know it's not going to be this girl who... Because, I mean, I know what it's like to even put a, a loose rack. I'm not saying a woman can't do it, but I can tell you right now, nobody in right mind is going to you know, cross that icy, cold Alaskan deal. So I'm more worried about some of these girls these days getting hurt on a photo shoot, much less a hunt. So when it gets down to it, sometimes, sometimes I get really frustrated at how we go about promoting things and, and, and really giving people their due credit. And so I say that from a very humble standpoint of what I've achieved. I've had a chance to do more than I ever thought possible, but I'm also 
feel like I'm a student of this industry. I know the names. I read the articles. I know what Chuck Adams accomplished. I know what the Winslow brothers did. I know the good and bad of the Noel Feather story. I understand Toxie Hayes and Cuz Strickland and Bill Jordan. Those are my idols. I know who Joe Bates is. And there's a lot of these people that jump in here and just also want to be a TV star or award-winning writer, and they know nothing about the culture that we know so much about and that we love and passionately admire. And so, you know, I would challenge anybody out there, if you think you're getting into the hunting industry just because you think it'd be an easy career to be famous or maybe sign a camouflage hat, then I don't think it's a good, you know, adventure to take. Then, you know, stay where you're at, because if you don't have true passion to be ambassadors and to share what we love so much, and if you do that the right way, there will be some notoriety that comes. You've achieved that and what you've done and what you share with people. I've had a chance to share it, to get some of that. But it's only because we truly humbly love what we do. And, and, and we're promoting not necessarily ourselves. We're promoting what we love to do. And good things come back to us from that. And so uh, sometimes the hunting industry, I, I, I'm not bashing the hunting industry, but I think we got to remember some basic common ground roots of what we're trying to accomplish here. It's not about you and I. It's not about anyone particular. That's why Mr. Doherty was so popular. That's why some of these writers, they were sharing these adventures. They were sharing these adventures and it made us want to partake in that adventure. And sure, would we have loved to have them in camp with us? Absolutely. And uh, and if we don't do that in the right way, I don't think it, it helps as much as it can potentially hurt. Yeah, you... Uh... <clears throat> Agree with that wholeheartedly, by the way. And uh, there's a lot of. I think the good news is, is that there's a lot of awesome people in our business, and, and yes, a lot yes. more. I tell you what, there's a lot, a lot more good ones than there is bad. I mean, I could probably count on one hand, really, the number of people that I genuinely haven't liked since I've been in the business, and that's been <laughs> that over sense. ten years now. So there's not really too many bad apples out there, and. Uh, uh, but we're not perfect by any means. You mentioned something about being a student, student of the game, or a student of of history, or something like that. Speaking of being a student, one thing in the turkey woods that seems like it's really taken off now. You may have been doing this for years and years. I just got into it a couple of years ago myself. Is this idea of fanning birds? You know, some people call it reaping, uh, where you you pop those tail fans up and you can get these gobblers come running in. Is that something that you have, you know, played with? And if so, what kind of results uh, have you seen and, and what kind of tactics are you employing? Absolutely. I, I love it. And, uh, and, and definitely um, it's funny you mention that because, you know, sometimes when people come out with something and they think they own it, you realize that, well, maybe you didn't invent it. It could have been invented by the by the Indians or the Pilgrims, even. And so, you know, that that fan in Turkey has been around a long time, but it just now become real popular because, to be honest, just from the ethics standpoint, um, especially in my career working for Realtree, Bill Jordan was selling camouflage, not necessarily being seen, but not being seen. So. Uh, in those early days when I was working in, say, 94, 95, I would employ a fan or a decoy in a very aggressive style, but we couldn't show those hunts on video. So it's something I've been doing for a long time. I think a lot of the southern turkey hunters, because we have just jerked turkeys to hunt, they're just the situations are really tough in the south sometimes. Jerk, jerk turkey? It, what, what makes a turkey a jerk? <laughs> Well, I, know, I sometimes I wish I knew the answer to that, but I know if you hunt this, you know, 
southern belt of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, on up through South Carolina. And uh, I wouldn't throw Tennessee in that because Tennessee has a lot of turkeys and they work really well sometimes. But uh, these just turkeys, are, I don't know. It's just the habitat and it's just, you know, they're not visible a lot in the bigger woods. And it's really aggravating and tough sometimes to, to find success on your traditional way of turkey hunting. So I think uh, for myself, I was always forced to innovate because I was wanting to build my tags, desperately wanted to get my hand around a gobbler's neck. And so, you know, fanning turkeys and things like that, you realize what you can do to manipulate. As a matter of fact, it was 2006 and seven when I sat down and talked about the Burgess boys, I told them that Thunder Chicken was, was my invention. And I said, this is a decoy I want. I want this type of decoy. And there was another molding company and another friend of mine who said the first run said, would this work? And it was that quarter strut Thunder Chicken that Flexstone came out with that you remember had my name on it. We called it the Thunder Chicken. That first year, we couldn't give that decoy away because everybody thought it was just a, you know, why am I going to spend $20 to set up a quarter of a turkey out there in my decoy spread? In my mind, I was wanting it to promote itself like that better turkey hunters could say, aha, it's a puppet. But then again, look at what we're talking. Even a Pennsylvania turkey hunter can't even legally do it. There is some safety situations there because you're holding the decoy, you're crawling behind a decoy. So I think the industry is really nervous to get behind it. I was very nervous and so, uh, but, and then, and then you were, it was a company called Turkey Reapers that really jumped out there, had nothing to lose, and they just jumped out there and promoted it and, and basically think that they completely owned it and they were the only ones doing it. That was not the case. They were just the first to be able to get behind it. I got hunts in 1994 of us using fans and killing turkeys that's never been seen that was with outdoor riders. Matter of fact, speaking of riders that's passed on, Mr. Tom Fagley, one of the nicest guys, him and Betty Lou were so good to me in my early career. I got a picture in my office dated 1996. It's a picture of me and Tom Fagley, and he says, To Michael, I really enjoyed the hunt. You are the true puppet master. And that was when I had actually somebody from that Turkey Reaper group saying, Oh, what hell, you're still in our style. And I was like, I need to switch that email just so I could send them that. So how was I the puppet master in 1995 and six? So obviously we've been doing this a long time and it is a phenomenal way to get turkeys. And it is so fun. It's controversial because a lot of old timers uh, and purists don't like it, but it works and it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, uh, quick aside, you mentioned Tom Fagley. Boy, that hit close to home. I don't know if you knew this, Michael. Tom was my mentor, and, uh, you know, in addition to the work he did for Field and Stream and, and Buckmasters and lots of other magazines, Tom was the outdoor writer at the Morning Call in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is when he retired from the newspaper, yeah, I guess who took over the outdoors beat there. So, uh, wow. Tom Fagley was, uh, was a hero of mine. Well, remains a hero of mine, even though he's no longer with us. And he and Betty Lou were, you weren't the only one they were very good to. They were, they were very good to a lot of people. And I can remember Tom giving me, matter of fact, I have one of Tom's old turkey vests hanging in my basement. And it's the old, wow. I think it's the awesome Mossy Oak Bottomland camo. And, uh, I will never part with that turkey vest because, uh, he was a special dude. <laughs> Real special. Well, he, he was. And, and it's amazing. I mean, some of this, even that having this opportunity to be on the show and, and just chat with you, um, it's so cool because I, I really, it, it's almost been like refreshing. The only thing we're missing is sitting right beside each other with, a, with our beverage of choice on a campfire. But, I mean, when you talk about this, it, it just gives me excitement of, 
you know, just, just what this industry has given to us. And when you mention those names, and a lot of people don't know that, and it's funny, I didn't realize a lot of this would come out, you know, in, in this conversation, in this interview, and, and really just talking about celebrating what we love, turkey hunting, bow hunting. But, yeah, I mean, it's so cool to be able to know that, you, I mean, you and I have had a chance to experience those those characters. And a lot of people that might be listening, they're like, man, you know, Tom Fagley, Betty Lou, who, who's that, you know? And, and and it's amazing. It's so funny. There's not much that would make me mad, but, like, when the younger generation, when, when and granted, there's a lot of writers I don't know, but, golly, it's amazing at how much I just sincerely love and look up to those guys. And I know, even as a television host, I've tried to write. I suck. I try. I mean, if somebody could edit, they could, they could probably do pretty good with me. Yeah, that's, what, what, that's, what, that's what Scobie told me, Mike. Scobie <laughs> <laughs> would make sense. Matter of fact, if I write an article, that's what I do. I just spit it and say stuff, and I come up with some pretty good phrases and catch lines. As long as you can figure out how to put it in words, but I try. I mean, I, I tell people I never won a spelling bee or a literature contest, but I was a turkey caller. So at the end of the day, I've always admired the work of an outdoor writer, and I've always aspired to want to be a better writer. And it just fell into it that I guess I fit the mold of a, of a TV host more than that, but I sure do admire you know the Fagleys the you know even Jim Cassida I, I could name a million million that have been so much even old Bubba Phillips I mean and, and a lot of these uh, a lot of these a lot of the that is not as known as it once was when you and I were kids and getting involved and uh but how cool is it that we had somebody both in our life at a very young age in the hunting industry that was a mentor to us like Tom Fagley and so it was kind of cool to be able to share that story that, yes, I do. And I, I'll send it to you. I'll make sure I text you the picture. It means so much. Me and Tom sitting there with a dead turkey, and he says, to the puppet master, thank you. And, and I remember that was the first time I remember with an outdoor writer, and I remember Tom vividly telling me this. He said, Michael, that tactic is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. He said, but, Michael, I'm not sure I can write about that. That That's that's pretty controversial and could be dangerous, especially in Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, I was going to say, him, him being a Pennsylvania guy, like you say, not only is it potentially dangerous uh, – because we don't have an archery-only season here. You know, it's just all shotgun. Uh, right. You can, you can hunt with a bow, but, but we got a lot of turkey hunters. So, yeah, it could be dangerous, and it's not, not legal here because uh, of some of the That's regulations. Correct. But let's end with this, Michael, though. I want to tell you one little story about my first experience with reaping, and then maybe this will inspire some people to go out and try this this spring with their bows, and then maybe if we're lucky... 20 years from now, there'll be two other folks talking about how maybe I heard Michael Waddell and Christian Berg one time and they were talking about doing this and I went out and I reaped my first turkey and man, that's how I got into the industry. And But weren't we lucky to have guys like Michael Waddell to mentor us when we were kids? Um, that would be cool. I was down in Florida. I was hunting down at Osceola Outfitters. I think you've hunted with Hoppy before. I don't know if I have. Yeah, you've been down. Everybody's hunted with Hoppy. He's he's Hoppy, a legend. Hoppy, but uh, 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 I was actually with Jimmy, one of his guides, and Jimmy's telling me what we're going to do. And we're bow hunting now. Again, I'm down there. I'm bow hunting Osceola turkey. And 
they had some blinds set up and we did some blind hunting but he said now we're going to go out and we're just going to drive around the ranch roads and if we see some birds out in the field we'll get out and we'll sneak around and try to get somewhere where we can get a little bit of cover in between of us and then I'm going to get down on my belly and snake crawl out in the grass and pop up this turkey fan and them turkeys are just going to come running straight to me and I'm going to have you off to one side or the other you're going to hide behind a bush or something and you're going to shoot one of these turkeys and I looked at this guy like he had three eyes on his head and I was like whatever you say buddy I'm like it sounds great I'd like to see this you know so sure enough we proceed to do a couple setups I remember the first setup he called this bird off of, it was up on a raised old railroad bed and this bird was strutting around in there Jimmy gets out there and pops that thing up and this bird goes down into the brush along the railroad bread and I'm crouched around. I'm waiting for this bird to come out like 20, 30 yards in front of me. This bird pops out six feet in front of me, Michael. I wasn't even at full draw. Steps out into the, the ankle-high grass, looks at me, I look at it, turns around and sprints off in the other direction. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh. <laughs> so that was that was one setup. And then later on in the morning, we found a couple more birds. There was three gobblers all by themselves out in the field. And, and, and they're a little clump of brush, and which I got behind. And I remember Jimmy crawls out there, and he pops that fan up, and he just starts moving it real slow, side to side. And... I didn't know what was happening because I couldn't see the birds. They were blocked by the brush I was hiding behind. But I could tell Jimmy seemed real interested in what was going on. And so I was thinking, well, they must be coming. And then after a little bit, he starts whispering to me, 50 yards, 40 yards, 30 yards. Oh, Lord. And then he says to me, he says, draw now. And I draw the bow back, anchor in, look through my peep sight, and just about that time I'm, I'm anchored in looking through my peep sight, here comes these three gobblers strutting out on the other side of this clump of brush. And I just, I must have moved a little bit to, to just center the pin on one of them. And as I moved, they all stopped and turned over towards me and stuck their heads up. And at that moment, I was letting the arrow go and wham! I hit that bird and he just flopped around and the other two come running off and I stood up and run out there. I was like, Jimmy, that was the most amazing turkey hunt I have ever had in my life. So moral of the story is, okay, Michael's saying he's been doing it since the mid-90s. He knows how effective it is. I've seen it with my own two eyes, and it's a great thing if you have a safe area, okay, you got some private ground where you know you're not going to have anyone potentially shooting at you. For bow hunters, that buddy system works absolutely great if you can find birds in the right spot to have the one guy work that fan and have your other sh person who's the shooter off to one side with a little bit of cover that can be a super super heart pounding turkey hunt it's the best it, and Kristen, I, just just even hearing you tell that story I, I i was reliving it with you man and it's so that, that's what's so beautiful about it and there is not a more deadly way to manipulate any species of turkeys from Osceola's to Marion's to Eastern's to Rio Grande's, I mean, you got to keep in mind that these turkeys are looking for something to trip their trigger. They're essentially trying to breed every hen they can. You got subordinate turkeys, you got old boss gobblers. 
and especially down in Osceola country, those turkeys are very mean turkeys. They they are tough as rattlesnakes. And so when it gets down to it, you're just tipping that trigger of aggression, and it works. And they are blinded by what they convince themselves that they see. And it's on, and it is over when they commit. And they're not coming within 40 yards. They're coming right to where you're holding that decoy. Or where oh, that that's it. Decoy you know, is. If I hadn't, if it is, I, it's if aggressive. I, yeah, I mean, if I hadn't shot one of those birds when they were about 20 yards away, yeah, they probably would have run right up to Jimmy and danced on his back because he was laying there on his face in the grass. So, well, it, it's amazing, and and, and I and I, I am. I want to go back to the vault and find some of those old early hunts that we used stands and decoys back when uh, I was working with Bill Jordanmore that we never used because we we just didn't show it because we was worried about the the safety aspects and plus Bill was selling camouflage and. You're getting really aggressive. You can get away with a lot with those decoys. And listen to this, Christian. I'll tell you something more. It just is exciting. You being a bow hunter. Well, here's something I have been working on, and that hopefully we can put it on the record um, from the standpoint of invention. And I'm sure. Well, I'm if, sure we, if we can't, you better shut up now because it's all going public. So that's keep, true. And keep I'll talking. Say, I've already been working. I even put it on a show. I come up. We we developed and put together. Now it's it's clunky, and we're since working on a, a, a different version of it. This should be out real soon. But if you think about it, the exact same scenario that you experience in spring turkey hunting, you experience in elk country. So you can essentially fan an elk in. We have had high success. If the wind's right, a herd bull, whether it's public ground, whether it's private ground, especially during archery season, you square your shoulders. If you think about it, a human man is about the same width across the shoulders. Our legs look like cow elk. You just wear your typical camouflage max one whatever you want to wear and you just square your shoulders and walk right in an elk with a bull decoy quarter decoy it will blow your mind so yes you can fan an elk we've got proof of it and when it gets ironed out it's going to completely revolutionize the way we can bow hunt these elk in these big huge meadows and uh it's almost scary if you trip that trigger in the right way. And so I've been sitting there working on it for years thinking it's got to work. But, you know, so many times, you know, we'll gamble on a turkey. I mean, it took some it took some gambling to because to, you don't even want to spook a turkey off. But especially when you got a 370 inch elk out there, you don't want to run him over five miles away. But it's the same. It's the same manipulation. It's the same trigger set that these elk have. And if you got the wind the right way, if you can get within that bubble, those herd bulls will come and run that satellite bull off. And you just better have your seatbelt buckle when he comes running in there. That's pretty awesome, man. I, I like to see some video of you doing that. It's, it, it is something else. I just haven't got the product worked out. I had an old, basically a, a true shoulder mount that I just took the hide off and we walled out the inside to make it lighter and built a little stand like a McKenzie mount mount essentially and i took some mckenzie uh, 3d target antlers and put on it and just had a taxidermist paint that old form back up i christian i was blown away i, I was i was i mean i was did you, the only thing that held us back from doing more of it it was such a heavy deal and you know how many miles you can put on elk hunting so so when it's made right it, it's gonna be a really cool tactic um and again everybody can hunt the way um, you want to. I've had some people that just go berserk about the fanning. Oh, I don't believe in it. If you can't call one in, you shouldn't do it. And you know, but but it's legal. Where it ain't legal, then don't do it. But where it is legal, the way I look at it is, we all work too hard. Especially that guy out there that maybe is listening in, who's working sixty, seventy hours, forty to seventy hours a week. He has a Saturday and Sunday he can go hunt. 
If there's something we can find out, I think it's mine and your especially our responsibility. If we can find a new tactic that helps and it's legal, we should share that because it ain't fair for us, even though we get to hunt a little bit more than others. But that one young kid, uh, that man who's worked his butt off, that woman who's working her butt off as a school teacher that maybe gets a Saturday to hunt when she got a babysitter, if I can teach her how to fan a turkey and she can use it and she gets her turkey that maybe years prior she didn't, I think it's worth it. And I think that people can take all these ethics and use it to their own discrimination, but don't force me to have to hunt the way you hunt and vice versa. And I think we got to also get off on that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Michael. I, I always call Peterson's bow hunting radio, the voice of bow hunting, but I'm actually ought to change my slogan to the fastest hour in bow hunting because it always goes by so quickly. And uh, I think it that's, has, man. it's a testament to my guests, people like yourself and, and the other folks that I have on for interviews. Uh, I love this format because even, you know, TV, you know how hard it is to cram a lot into 22 minutes for an episode. And even in the magazine, you know, if, even if you have two or 3,000 words, you can just only say so much. I love these podcasts because we can go on about an hour and talk about whatever we feel like and get a little deeper into things. And it's, I just hope, uh, you know, I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as I have because I've had a great time talking to you and I, I appreciate you being with us. Likewise, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. And it has went by fast. And, it, and it, like I said, it feels like a little campfire. It feels like, feels like we're going to be hitting the bunker going on out after the coffee nap, chasing something down. So, no, I appreciate it. And I love what y'all do. And I think we got to keep churning, man, keep grinding and sharing what we love and hearing those stories about, you know, when you fanned your first turkey and stuff, you hear that excitement in your voice and how that knot can be contagious to other people if they haven't tried it to give it a shot. And, I know you've had some success in the turkey woods, and when you discover something like that new, it just becomes like Christmas all over again when you're eight years old, and that's the beauty of the outdoors, and I, I just love that we got all these assets and, and ways and channels that we can promote it, and uh, like I said, man, I'm glad that I got another brother than you that's convicted to share it and promote it, and uh, that's what we'll keep doing, man. We'll do the best we can do, and uh, thank the good Lord every day that we can go out and do what we love to do, and that is hunt fish. Enjoy the outdoors. I've enjoyed it. Well, thanks again, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Waddell, and we will have you back to our virtual campfire uh, just as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. <laughs>